אז אני מקשר עצמנו לכל הצדיקים האמיצים שבאדוננו וכל הצדיקים האמיצים שוחרר הקדוש מלאו אצלנו ופת רבנו הקדוש צדיק יסוד עולם נחנו בן הכוחמה רבי נחמן בן פגי בן שמחה נחנך נח ונחם אומן זכותם יגן עלינו וכל מי סלאם כן יהי רצון. So בעזרת השם let's do this class uh, and tonight we're going to make it a little bit of a conversational class whoever wants to jump in let's, let's talk a little bit more all together um, I have a lot of ideas and direction that I want to go in but בעזרת השם Let's try to, to all share ideas because I, I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to be able to share personal stories and experiences that are going to help about the subjects that we're going to study. But as typical for the class, let's do this class, Bezat Hashem, for the Refua Shlema of all the Cholim of Amishchal, if anybody has a name. Let's just share some names right now. David Ben Phoebe. David Ben Phoebe. Nathanael Simcha Ben Chava. Nathanael Simcha Ben Chava. Yosef Ezreal Ben Chaim Micha. Yosef. יצחק מאיר בן שושנה יצחק מאיר בן שושנה שרה רוס שרה רוס בת נחמה דינה בת נחמה דינה שרו בת ברברה שרו בת ברברה שרו בת ברברה שרו בת ברברה אברהם יעקב בן שרה אברהם יעקב בן שרה אריאלה בת ציפורה מרדכי בן מותרם אברהם בן אסתר כל החולים של עם ישראל אל נער אפנאיהם אל נער אפנאיהם אל נער אפנאיהם בזכות עוד הצדיקים בזכות יציאת מצרים בזכות הפרשה מנשה בן... רב שמואל בן הרב יעקב שי יחזקאל ברוך בן אברהם הלוי יחזקאל ברוך בן אברהם הלוי רפי בן פיבי מרים בת משה מרדכי אהרון אלי בן שמחה רובי בת אסתר And all the Nishamot that have passed away, Be'ezat Hashem, Tiyeh Nishmatam Tzorah B'Tzorah Chaim. So tonight, I'm going to try to go through a bunch of different topics um, within Parashat B'Shalach and the Jewish people leaving Egypt. And I'm hoping to take away a bunch of practical 
um, advice from here that mainly stems from the teachings of Rabbi Nachman of Breslev so that we can really better ourselves through these teachings and find our own geula. And so as hinted in that sentence, most of tonight's class is actually going to be talking about how we can find our own personal redemption and also the redemption of the Jewish people. But we'll actually find out throughout the class that the redemption of the Jewish people actually depends on our own personal redemption. Uh, and actually finding your own personal redemption is actually living in the moment as if you were actually redeemed, as if the whole people were redeemed, um, which we'll see because each person is ruled within themselves. So we're going to delve a little bit into that. We might connect a couple ideas to the man, parashat aman, and money, uh, because it's connected to this week's parasha specifically. Um, this week is actually a good segula for those that want to read parashat aman. Um, it's a good segula for parnasa. Um, the man, for those that don't know, is the manna bread that was uh, given to the Jewish people in the desert after the sea split, where Hashem essentially provided for the Jewish people for 40 years. Um, it was very special bread. Uh, some commentaries say it was the bread of angels. It's how Hashem fed the angels. It's a bread that there was no solet, there was no waste. So it was purely spiritual sustenance. And the Jewish people didn't essentially need to use the restroom for 40 years uh, because there was nothing that was negative. There was no nezika, there was no kripot that were hanging onto this bread onto this actual sustenance of this food is very, very spiritual. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Emuna in the connection with redemption and why faith carries so much in redemption and why the power of faith is really the founding pillar of how the Jewish people were redeemed and how we will eventually be redeemed. And Bezat Hashem, all of this has to do with the struggles that we face on a day-to-day -day basis that how we have to get through our own exiles and the story of the Jewish exile in this week's Pasha to be able to get this actual redemption that we actually need. So Bezat Hashem, um, you know, we'll do a baruch at the end of the class, but Bezat Hashem, you know, it's very important that we understand that the Jewish people depend upon the redemption. We depend upon this story, the whole story of the Jewish people. We say it in the Pesach, we say it in every holiday, we say it in every tefillah. We say it multiple times a day, and there's a reason for it. This is the parasha specifically that the Jewish people left Egypt. It's the redemption. That result teaches us actually a very special teaching from here. He says that every single parasha, we learn things, and the Zohar also hints to this, that everything that's happening in the parasha of the week actually has many secrets and many applications that actually happen in your day-to-day -day life that week as well. And if you pay close attention, you will see that the things that you learn and the things that are happening to you that week are actually found in the parasha of the week and or vice versa, and, they, and you can learn very powerful lessons from it. So we're gonna actually discuss where the redemption is within our daily lives today, um, because that's this is the parasha of redemption. The Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Cordevero, essentially the head mekubal of Tzfat before Darizal, uh, took over um, in the early 16th century or the mid 16th century uh, was famous for having said that if you take all the psukim in the Torah that reference the Yetziat Mitzchayim, you'll have 50 of them. There's a lot of mystical interpretations of the significance of the number 50 and why it comes up. But the Ramak teaches us something very powerful. He says, if you read all those passages, you will find redemption just as the passages reference the Jews leaving Egypt. So too, the redemptions that you need in your life, you will receive redemption for that as well. We see those types of segulot applicable, not only from the teachings of the Ramak, but in many other teachings, Rabbi Nachman brings it up in Sefer Hamidot, and many other common teachings when people say, hey, you need help with Parnassah, read Parashat Aman. Or if you need this blessing for Refuah, read this passage that speaks about Refuah, because these passages in the Torah have healings within themselves that can actually bring special healings to our lives. So as a very practical, just very simple lesson that we can just take off right off the cuff, uh, that's very mystical, but also very practical, is that just going to synagogue this Saturday or just going to shul and listening to this parasha is the epitome of redemption. 
there was actually, I was listening to a class of Nathan Uzon, who's a French breast lover in Israel, and he was saying that there is this French breast lover that he grew up with that passed away, but, no, that passed away recently, but when he was younger, he had this somewhat of a tradition or something that he came to an understanding. And he was a very, very holy person. He said that this person saw a lot of very special things, a very holy man. And he said that this man had a minhag that he would wait all year long for this specific parasha. And he would wake up very, very early on Shabbat of this parasha, and he would go to shul at Netz, and he would listen at the Kotel, because he lived in Yerushalayim, he would listen to a hundred times of a hundred different minyanim that would just read this passage of the Torah over and over and over and over and over again because he believed and he understood and he found his redemption by listening to the passages of redemption in this week's parasha. So on a very simple level, everybody can do this by just opening up the parasha of the week and just learning a little bit about it, what happened with Moshe, the Jewish people, their travels, they left Egypt, just reading the words might bring you redemption this week with something at work, something at school, something in life relationships just open the book read a little bit to give a little bit of faith we'll, we'll talk about that and you will see a lot of redemptions come your way the benish chai says something which we'll touch on a little bit later as well the benish chai says something actually i think that i found in parashat vayigash in the halachot of benish chai where he discusses specifically on shiratayam which is the thing that actually happens the jewish people when the sea splits they start to sing and the benish chai says that there's a segula that every single day when we read azia shir to read the azia shir with a lot of joy a lot of simcha and he says, you have to do something very special. He says, you have to pretend and you have to imagine in your head when you're reading it as if you yourself were being enclosed on by the Egyptians. Mm -hmm. You had a cliff on one side, you had the water on the other side, and now you don't even know where to go. And you now Hashem opens up the ocean for you. And with this ecstatic joy that you're being saved, now you're entering there and you read Azir Shir. Mm -hmm. He says, if you do this every single day with Simcha, or anytime you do it once, even just once, the Sigula for this, which is founded in Kabbalah, he essentially says that Hashem starts to be mechaper, he starts to repair, and he starts to remove all the sins and all the damage that we've done by just having simcha whenever you read the azishiyah, just the splitting of the sea. Yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit tonight about prayer, we're going to talk about the redemption and what all of this means. But before we do, I have a little bit of a question that kind of encircles this whole conversation and it's something that I was thinking about and it's something that I saw in other classes that I was listening to in some ways, but I wanted to discuss it for a quick second and this is the first opportunity for everybody to kind of jump in and, and give me a little bit of their thoughts. There's Moshe Rabbeinu in the last few parashiot that kind of comes in as this star character that is chosen by Hashem to be the Redeemer, to be the Mashiach, essentially Moshe Mashiach, as referenced in the Zohar, as referenced in the Maran, as referenced in many books. Moshe is the Redeemer. And the Jewish people need Moshe to be able to get out. We actually read in the passages before Az Yashir, we say, Vayaminu Ba'ashim of Moshe Avdo. Breast lovers bring down this passage a lot because there's a concept of having Imuna in Hashem and in the Tzadik. This is brought down by the Anshek Nesat Abdullah and the Tefillah to be able to read this prayer. And they say specifically, Vayaminu Ba'ashim Uve Moshe Avdo. And they believed in Hashem and Moshe his servant, right? So there's this idea of believing in the tzaddik and there's the idea of believing in Hashem. So my question is, what is the role of Moshe? What is the role of the tzaddik for the Jewish people? So that's, uh, that's the question. Go ahead. Tell me what everyone's thoughts are. And by the way, a lot of things could be right at once. I'm, I'm looking for a couple specific ideas that I'm going to go down, but a lot of things might be correct. So I'm curious to see so where everybody understands. Can you say the question again? Sorry. What is the role of the tzaddik? What is the role of Moshe Rabbeinu? Replace it with, you can use Moshe Rabbeinu as the, as the placeholder here, but what is specifically the role of Moshe Rabbeinu in the exile, not the exile, but the redemption from the exile of the Jewish people? What was Moshe's job? What is 
What's Moshe's goal? He's the intermediary of Hashem. Okay. So he's a prophet. He was used like that. Everything goes through him. He's the boss. He's the CEO. You've also said in previous classes how um, it was one like connecting with a tzaddik like before you daven, before you're learning anything. Yeah. So he can, like, in a way, his job is like to connect with you and like help you connect. Like, kind of like what you're even saying is he's, he's a helper. Yeah. He can help vouch because he knows the way of Hashem, right? We learn from the passages of. With Yosef, when Yosef interprets the dreams of Paro, we see famously that we actually learn the idea of what a tzaddik is from Paro. Not a lot of people know this or learn this, but it says, a man with the spirit of God in him. And Paro is the one that gives the name to Yosef like this. He tells his servants, he says, have you ever seen a man like this? That has the spirit of God in him? Because he knew everything. But Yosef was just like, it's not me, it's the big man upstairs that knows everything. So how wonderful is this, right? That they see, even the goyim see, that this man has the glory of God on his face. His face shines with godliness, right? That's powerful. That's the tzaddik. It's because the will of the tzaddik is the will of Hashem. It's very important to understand that. That's why, especially in Chassidut and especially in Breast of Chassidut, which emphasizes the concept of the tzaddik a lot, there's a very, very strong fundamental concept which depends on the tzaddik. And this idea is that the tzaddik is not different than than. Uh, of course, the tzaddik, there's, tzaddik is the idea of a neshama, a very special neshama. The tzaddik yesod olam is, is a neshama above all the other neshamot. It's a very special mission. It's tasked to redeem the Jewish people. It's the foundation of the earth. But Hashem, of course, there is never... A lot of the time we get into conversations about the tzaddik and there's people that, that feel a little bit of confusion or they, or they feel a little bit of a hesitation in the idea that the tzaddik seems like a god. The tzaddik is not god. There's the tzaddik and there's god. But the will of the tzaddik is to bring you back to Hashem. So I'll share a couple of, of my thoughts. If anyone else has any other thoughts, feel free to jump in and then we'll continue with the class. My understanding of the tzaddik and the way that I'd like to go with this class is that tzaddik does something very special that nobody else can do. Not a prophet, not a Kohen, not anybody else. The tzaddik, he helps you find your purpose in this world, but it's not just a person that advises you. It's not a guru. It's not a sensei. It is a person that knows the root of your neshama. It has to be the tzaddik yesodam. He has to know where you come from, where your soul is going. It has to know what you have to repair. It has to know what everybody has to repair. It's not just one person, because there's rabbanim that they're meant to have some students and they know the result of some students, but they don't know the result of all the students. And those rabbanim need the tzaddik as well, because those rabbanim themselves need reparation. But the tzaddik yesodam and the idea of Moshe Rabbeinu is that he does two things. He brings you back to Hashem, which is essentially you finding your purpose, which is restoring your neshama back into the circle of life of what is Hashem. And he does something else, which is a lot simpler and a lot deeper at the same time. He helps you find who you are. The tzaddik teaches you who you need to be. So I'll say that again because it's, not, it's a very simple idea, but it's very confusing. You might say to me, David, I know who I am. I look at myself in the mirror, I see who I am, I see what I do every single day, I work, I do this, I know what I enjoy, I know what I don't enjoy. But I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna challenge that idea, and tonight we're gonna discuss it, because we actually do not know who we actually are. I feel like most people, though, say that they don't know who they are. Like, I'm trying to figure out myself. Yeah, you know what's actually, you know what's actually interesting? <laughs> the younger you are, the, the, more, the more humility you can have 
to be able to say that I don't know who I am or I'm looking for myself, it takes a certain sense of humility to say that I don't know who I am. But you'll it's see the more stubborn a person gets. Like late teenage years, I feel like yeah. everybody says that. They, they, they also, when you see a teenager in a room filled with people that are in quotation marks, educated or more well-formed or they know what they're doing in life, it's very difficult for a kid to walk into the room that's 18 years old and say, hey, I, I kind of figured out life or I know what I need to do with my life. You have people in the room that are 50, 60, 40, and they're looking at him and they're like, oh, you think you figured out life? You don't even know what difficulty is. Yeah, did you, you dig Did you have difficulty paying rent? No. So you don't know what life is about. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah. But does the person that's 40 know what life's about? <clears throat> Does the person that's 16 knows what life is about? Does it matter with age? Does it have anything to do with that? No. No. Right? But you could look at it that way. Like, let's say I look at my parents. Yeah. And I'm like, they lived. They think they, they know where their life is at. And then they could look at their parents and be like, they lived such a long life. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I guess everybody, I think maybe it's just like comparing things. Like, everybody looks at... Like whoever's like, I guess, I guess older than them or whatever. Yeah. But it's not about age. It's I think about it comes with experience. Experience. You, do, you can get more experience life. with age, yes, because the the advent of time and, and helping and learning more and and, and just getting more kedusha and more education. Yeah, that that will for sure happen if you sit down and you read the the it ability to sit down and yeah, it comes with a lot of tefillah. It comes with a lot of help. It comes with a lot of effort. It comes with a lot of desire. Good desire, desire to want to be better, desire to work and improve on yourself, go through difficulty. So we know that it's not easy to find ourselves. In fact, it's probably something that everybody on earth looks for is they look to find their meaning in life and their purpose in life. And it takes everybody a lifetime. And most people don't feel like they've completed it probably until their dying breath. Because it's not one of those things that you feel like you can do and just be like, all right, I'm done. Now I'm checking out. You can now take my neshama for me. Right. I mean, isn't that how it is, though? Like you come into when this you're world done. to fulfill your purpose, and then you. When you're done. But the majority of the people don't even fulfill their purpose. So. And so, unfortunately, we don't. We don't even. We don't even so understand. We pray that we do. But yeah. The reality is. We've been coming back in Gilgim for many years. We know the majority of people alive today are coming back in reincarnation. Um, and we keep on coming back and coming back and keep on doing this mistake and that mistake and it's and, it's, and we could share stories about this forever uh, for sure if you study the mystical books that there's lots of stories about this but but there's this idea that we need to find out what we need to do in this world and there's simple ways to be able to figure out what we need to do in this world so I'm going to try to focus a little bit on that and why the tzaddik's purpose is, is powerful and why this leads to actually redemption in this world so we said that the tzaddik's idea of what the tzaddik is in this world is to be able to help you show you who you really are. He puts a mirror in front of you, except the mirror doesn't reflect you, it reflects who you could be. Ooh. And that's what's actually going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything you want to add to that? <laughs> I just want to listen. <laughs> so, there's something really interesting that happens. Moshe enters into Egypt. He had this beautiful encounter with Hashem. He starts to he starts to find more of Hashem, right? We get to actually, as time progresses, we get to know Hashem better, because as you get to know yourself more, you actually get to know more of Hashem. Because actually, bettering yourself and removing the layers off your neshama, the klipot, reveal more of the light of the diamond of your neshama, and that actually is a piece of Hashem, which actually means you finding yourself is actually finding Hashem. So. Moshe knows that this is his process. And Moshe got to know God even better because Moshe is having this process, but on a very, very high level. The level of the tzaddik is so 
And Moshe, after the burning bush, comes to Egypt and there's the 10 plagues. But Moshe starts to see the Jewish people and he knows his job is to be able to go to every single Jew and to show them this reflection of themselves, to get them to come back to Hashem, to do tshuva, to help redeem them from this exile of Egypt. And what happens? The Jewish people do not want to accept Moshe. They don't even know what they are. They don't even know who they are. Let me give you a simple example. It's obviously an exaggeration, but imagine your best friend's name is David and you sit down in a coffee shop with David and you turn to David and you say, hey, David, how's that coffee? Do you like it? And David looks at you and says, who's David? And I'm not even drinking coffee. There's a delusion that can exist in the world. If you can imagine what it's like to be sitting down with someone that you're talking to and they're saying, they're not, that's not my name and I'm not doing what I'm doing in front of you. Moshe had this experience with the Jewish people where they're in Egypt, they're enslaved. They don't know that they're enslaved. He's talking to their nishamot, but their nishamot are not responding because they're pretending that they're, because they're acting, they don't even know that they're actually enslaved. I'm gonna ask a question over and over again tonight that we should be thinking about that's applicable today, which is that maybe we don't know that we're enslaved today, right? Rabbi Nachman says that we're actually in the 50th gate of Tum'ah, and that we ourselves today are on a lower level than where they were in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Because in Egypt, there was things that they held at a certain standard in terms of Kedusha, in terms of their clothing, in terms of certain aspects that they have, that they kept, their names. Jewish people today have sunk into a level where there's assimilation to a point that some Jews, we don't even know if they're Jews or not. Yeah. Right? It's interesting. Uh, we've adopted certain names of Goyim. Uh, we've adopted the clothing of Goim, we've adopted the language of Goim, we've adopted the conversation of Goim, we've adopted the, the minhagim of Goim. We eat like Goim, we talk like Goim, we do everything like Goim today. We, by definition, if you just parallel our story with, our story with the story of Egypt, we are actually in Egypt today. And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves that if they're being redeemed, that means we also need to be redeemed. But if they were saved, and some of them were saved, but some of them weren't, the question is, which ones were saved, why were they saved, and how did they get saved? And how can we learn from that so that we don't do the same mistakes over and over again? So the truth is that there is this cloudiness that exists in the mind. And this cloudiness comes into the world because the Jewish people are not in touch with reality. There's two types of actions to know whether you're doing something that's right or doing something that's wrong. It's actually pretty simple. Number one, to know if you're doing something right, ask yourself, am I doing this for Hashem? If you're doing this for Hashem, it's a good action. If you're doing it for yourself, for someone else, for ego, for school, for this, for that, it might also be for Hashem. But if it's only for that and not for Hashem, and it's countering, then it is not good. So sometimes you might have an experience where, should I go on this date or should I not go on this date? Should I go hang out with this friend? Should I not go out with this friend? Should I conduct myself this way in business? Should I not do this deal? And these conversations that are happening to us over and over again, when I'm going to even walk right now, like if I'm going to take a couple steps, am I walking in holiness, right? Some tzaddikim just think this way. They say, am I walking right now in a way that's mute? Am I talking to a person that's in front of me in a way that respects him? Am I giving him his space? Am I listening to his words? Or am I only give, caring about what I'm going to respond to the person because I think I have wisdom to impart to someone? We do this so subtly that we don't realize how much we actually make gods of ourselves, and it's pure Avodah Zarah, and we completely forget Hashem. 
But real, the real idea of the tzaddik is to teach us that we need to find Hashem in everything. And the tzaddik helps us see this reflection of ourselves. It says, yo, David, relax. Go do it, bodidut. You don't realize that you're talking to your friend. Your friend's talking to, your, talking to you about heartbreak. And you're trying to give him advice when you should be actually consoling him and be more compassionate because you don't actually understand where he stands. You don't really see yourself in the mirror well. So we do this thing so often in every little action of our lives that we forget to sit back and, and really dissect. I was realizing it a lot recently in my bodidut that I'm getting into so many circumstances and I'm actually, God has actually been helping me a lot right now recently on being more in the moment. There's these ideas of like be in the moment, live in the moment, right? They're very like interesting ideas. A lot of ideas that, that even Goim use this language and people use this language around the world and people talk about it because it's a very powerful concept. It's a real concept. It's actually a met. The question is, are you really being yourself? Right, we're talking about that. Am I actually being the truest version of myself? Am I gonna go right now hang out with a person and we do this all the time, right? Guys and girls will go out on dates and we're gonna tell, or we're gonna do a business meeting or we're gonna talk to a friend and we're gonna tell them a story in a way that makes us look good. Why? Because I think that they're gonna like me better if I appear this way. But we don't even know, one, if they are gonna like us better. We're making assumptions of the other person which is actually degrading the person. And we're changing ourselves for not being our true self. So when the person's eventually gonna figure out who you actually are, they're not gonna recognize you. They're gonna say, why were you different? But it's very hard because we're embarrassed because we don't know who we want to be. So we need to do a lot of work. We need to talk to Hashem. We need to speak to Hashem. We need to say to Hashem, Hashem, I need your help here. Because I want to go out with this girl. But I don't know what to do in this situation with this girl because I don't know if this girl's going to like me if I tell her that I keep Shabbat. That's a tough one. But, she, but you know, I just recently started keeping Shabbat in the last couple weeks. And it's been really good and I'm trying to do this. But I don't think she's going to accept me for that. Well, if I'm sitting down now with the girl face to face and the truth comes out and I get to share that information, I ask myself the question, this is going to be really tough, Hashem, but I'm going to choose to glorify your name instead of glorifying myself. So I'm going to say to the girl, listen, there's this thing called Shabbat that I decided to start doing. And here's the reason why it means something to me. And you share that. And when you do that, you do on a spiritual level, an atomic bomb of an explosion in the spiritual realms where you glorify Hashem's name in the whole world that no one else can do, by the way. No tzaddik can do that. By you being true to yourself? Yes. Wow. Because there is no tzaddik that can go on a date with a girl that doesn't keep Shabbat and tell the girl, even though he's embarrassed, I keep Shabbat. That explosion that happens in the spiritual world, only you can do it. And we do this for every Jew on every level at any place in time. But so many times we don't rise to the occasion because we're so scared or we're scared to be ourselves or we're so naturally lost and we're not ourselves that we don't actually do it. And, we, and we're scared for that conversation. So we hide and we bend down and we avoid the conversation. So Moshe says something very special. Moshe says this concept and he says out loud, he says, you Jewish people, as he's standing in front of them in Egypt, you guys are no longer a Ben Evet. You guys are a Ben Melech. You guys are no longer the sons of a slave. You guys are no longer slaves. You guys are actually the sons of a king. So let me ask you a question. If anyone over here for a second thought, and let's imagine for a quick second, if anyone over here can put themselves in the shoes of being part of, let's say the royal family of England, we were talking about this actually funny enough this past week, not to get into any politics or global politics or anything like that. But imagine for a second, let's say you were part of the royal family of England and you were a prince 
or you were a princess and you have all your inheritance um, looked out for you, you have everything taken care of you, you have people working for you, you are treated with the utmost respect in the whole entire world. Would you show up to your day job tomorrow? Would you need to show up to your day job tomorrow? Would you act the way that you act in today's day and age? The truth is that we don't view ourselves as the sons of a king. We don't view ourselves as a prince. But the truth is that every single Jew today actually must believe and must act and must understand that they themselves are kings. We're princes. We're the children of Hashem. And if we want, Hashem will bring us down the manat tomorrow, like you said. It will bring us the redemption tomorrow. We'll bring the money to our table tomorrow. And he'll bring us, or today, and he'll bring us your wife in your tefillah immediately. And whatever you need, he will bring to you immediately because you're a prince. You receive all the bounty and you receive all the benefit. The whole world needs to worship you. Not worship you in a sense that you deserve this honor that's a fake honor. It's a real honor. It's an honor that comes from the love of Kedusha. It's an honor that comes only to the son of a king. And that's what the Jewish people are. But they didn't recognize themselves as that. But when Moshe said this, some of the Jews, about 20% of them, snapped out of their reality. And they started to see the reflection in the mirror. And they started to realize how far away from Hashem they actually were. But they said, we are princes. And we deserve something and we deserve greatness. And we believe that we can accomplish our potential in this world. And Moshe is going to help us do that. Moshe as the tzaddik is going to help us fulfill our potential and help us get close to God. And those are the Jews that left Egypt. There's a passage that comes down actually in Pirkei Avot, in chapter 4, that says, which is, the, which is the teaching, it's a very wise teaching that says essentially, who is a, who is a wealthy person, who is a rich person, a person that's happy with his lot, a person that's happy with what he has. So it's a very, very um, interesting statement. It's a very wise statement to be able to say, if you're happy with what you have and you don't need anything else, then you're rich because you don't need anything. You're happy with what you have, right? And, and intuitively, that makes a lot of sense. And it's actually a very good way to live your life. We should actually all strive for this. I think Moshe was actually talking about it in his class last week. Um, to live with that type of simplicity, to understand that you live as a poor man in your brain, that you're happy with everything that you have because you understand that Hashem has granted you everything. So everything that's given to you, you have so much gratitude because everything that you already have is exactly what you need to live in the world. And if Hashem thought that you were missing anything, He would have given it to you already. So the lacks that we have are actually something pretty interesting. And this is where I was, when I was preparing this class, I, can't, I, I don't know if I came up with, but a paradox hit me. And I realized something very interesting. I realized that the things that we are lacking, that we request, right, that we feel that we need, are actually the things that actually enslave us. Because it's actually a form of slavery. So for example, if I need a wife, that means I'm enslaved to the idea that I need a wife. If I need money, that means I'm enslaved to the idea that I need money. And all of these are forms of slavery. And so what we're actually going to start to dissect now and start to get a little bit deeper and deeper and deeper into this concept of what it is that we're being exiled from and what we are in exile and what we're enslaved to is all these things in our lives that we chase after that are not kadosh. Because we said earlier that there's a way to decide if you're doing a right decision or a bad decision. If you're doing it for Hashem, you know it's the right decision. If you're doing it not for Hashem essentially, and not for the kadusha and for the glory of Hashem, then you're doing something that's not the right decision. It's the same thing actually whenever it comes to these types of slaveries. There's a good type of slavery, which I would consider it a good type of slavery. And then there's a bad type of slavery. When you're a slave to Likute Mu'aran, 
because you sit down and you sit down every single day at 8 a.m. and you read for 30 minutes straight and you are enslaved to this moment. Yes, it's a word that has negative connotation, but let's use it for positivity for a second, right? When you are enslaved to the tzaddik says, come to Uman Rosh Hashanah, you go to Uman Rosh Hashanah. When the tzaddik says, go to the mikveh, go to the mikveh. When he does tikkun akhlai and you do this for the kedusha of Hashem, and you do this for the kedusha of the tzaddik, and you do this because you want to return to Hashem, you are enslaved in kedusha. It's a form of bountiful slavery. It's a bountiful, beautiful slavery. It's almost whenever we used to be able to say as Jews, there's even there's even people that used to say, Eliezer used to walk around and say, Eved Avram Anochi. He used to walk around saying that I was the slave of Avram, of this holy tzaddik Avram at the time of the Torah. Right? There's brothers that walk around saying, Eved Rabbi Nachman Anochi. Eved HaKadosh Baruch Hu Anochi. I'm a slave to you, Hashem. Everything that you want me to do, I'm going to do. Everything that tzaddik wants, which is the will of Hashem, I'm going to do. That's what we need to do. We need to walk around and say, right now, I'm doing Yidbodidut. I'm not doing Yidbodidut because I have Chochmah or because I think I'm smart or because I'm intelligent or because, hey, because meditating is going to help me out. It's going to clear my mind. No. We do it because of the simplicity of understanding that Tzaddik says there is no greater way to stand and speak to Hashem and get closer to Hashem than to sit down and pour out your heart to Hashem and talk to Him. That's it. There is no wisdom behind any of it. There is no... Us trying to rationalize it and understand it is us lowering the level in which the tzaddik and the way Hashem, which is infinitely above, right, understands the world. So if Hashem says, for example, on the seventh day you rest, it's not because we realize that, hey guys, you know, it's great to have a day of the week where we get to unwind and read books and chill and eat food. And it's not that. Yeah, we find peace in that. We try to find happiness in that. We try to find our ways around it. There's halachot. We listen to the words of the chachamim. But we don't understand why there's a seventh day and why on that seventh day there's rest. We don't know that. We'll never understand that. And with that, I'm going to start to develop an idea that's called emuna. So quick question. So yeah. for the example you gave up, someone who wants to find their wife and they're a slave to that. Yeah. Um, isn't that part of holy yearning? Like, you know, people, Yes. So we know that Hashem wants us to, to get married and have kids. Yeah. So his idea of having one, of yearning for a wife, isn't there... Some level, every moment you're yearning and you're pining to find a wife, and maybe all the work that you do to try to do that, and even all the all the prayers that you uh, give to, you know, direct towards Hashem to open up those gates for you, yeah, allow that to happen. That sounds holy to me. It is, sound, yeah, yeah, it is, it is. So sorry if maybe I wasn't clear. If your direction of I'm praying for a wife is based in the ideas of materialism, or I like this girl because I think that she's hot or whatever it is, you know, like, let's fill in the blanks, right? With those types of conversations or God, I, can you please give me, I want to close this million dollar deal. I really want this, this house and I want this car. And, and it leads to vanity or something that doesn't glorify God's name. Like I said, then you will catch yourself in these enslavements. But there's another type of an enslavement where it's, a, where it's you're doing something from the sense of Kedusha. So for example, a wife, right? Money, by the way, can be used for Kedusha as well. Everything is actually rooted in Kedusha in this world. The problem is, is that we don't sometimes know how to decipher between Kedusha and, and, and Tum'ah. Mm -hmm. So when you're praying for your wife, it's 100% rooted in Kedusha. The fact that you're praying for your wife is already, you're already in a good place. This thing is sometimes we get lost because we're not 100% clear. So sometimes our prayers go from I'm praying for Kedusha to then a temptation to then not being rooted in Kedusha. Mm -hmm. But if your prayers are for Kedusha and your yearning is in Kedusha and you want to get married because you want to build, a, you want to have, you want to have family and you want to have kids and you want to have a, and you want to expand Ju Judaism and you want to expand godliness in the world and you want to fulfill your mission in this world and do mitzvot, then it's all rooted in Kedusha and you're not mm -hmm. enslaved to that. Mm -hmm. At least not enslaved on the negative side of it, mm -hmm. right? 
it's it's very hard, I think, sometimes for, for certain things, and this, the wife is a good example, yeah. that maybe people, Hashem also programmed us in a certain way, so we experience loneliness, we experience... Of course. Maybe wanting, and so these things sometimes can maybe get in the way for saying, like, it's purely Hashem for you. There's there's a little bit of a selfish thing in nature, but Hashem also programmed, programmed that within <coughs> us, which is interesting as well. So can that also be harnessed? Can you say, okay, Hashem, I know that this yearning is something that you, you put inside me, and can I use it also to, you know? A hundred percent. What I will say is, I think very interestingly, I think there is no redemption without exile, right? There is no there is no accomplishment or victory without the suffering before it. Otherwise, it's baseless. Otherwise, it's just bland. It's just black and white. Mm. The world needs to have the ups and downs. There's a beautiful story about Rabbi Nachman and Rabbi Natan when they discuss Azamra and the teachings of Azamra. And they say at the end of time, and I discussed it um, in a previous class a little while back, but Rabbi Natan says that at the end, when you pass away, especially for breast lovers, he says, Hashem's going to ask you to sing a song. This song is the Azamra. This Azamra is he's going to ask you to sing a song. Now he teaches you that the most beautiful song is song is sung essentially with the highest melodies and the lowest melodies, the lowest tones, the highest tones, the ups, the downs. He says it's the story of your life. Mm-hmm. He says that story of your life, if you come to God and you're like, I did this every single day and I did this and I did this and it just looks bland. There is no victory. There is no failure. There is no up. There is no down. There is no, I looked for you. I didn't find you. There is none of that. There's no movement. It's a death. It's, it's a straight line. It's a flat line. It's the heart rate. But... I think that we f- go through those difficulties and those struggles because in those struggles, there's the elevation of Kedusha. God knows specifically that you're going through something difficult because only you can do that. Only you can master that. And only you have the muscles and only you have the training and only you have the special weapons to be able to go through that difficulty of that specific scenario that you're dealing with. And you will be able to provide and impart wisdom to other people that are going through similar things because of the things that you learned and the things that you encountered in your life. And there is no salvation without the downs. That's actually why you'll see that the Jewish people that actually ended up staying in Egypt, most of them that passed away and most of them that were stuck behind, passed away in Choshech, which is the plague of black, which is the plague of darkness. Because they didn't find any light. They didn't find anything within themselves to be able to, rese- to, to, be able to come up. There was only suffering and no elevation. There was no coming up. But all Rabbi Nachman's teachings, they're all when you're down, and when you're in this moment, which we discuss a lot, right? Rabbi Nachman, I say all the time, he's a master of the this movement, not the this movement. Because this movement, a lot of people talk about. There's books on like feeling good, feeling happy. You're studying Torah. All those are like you study Yalacha, good. You're doing great. You're, you're studying Torah. That's this Kedusha. You're doing, you're doing Tefillah. This is all ups. There's no one that discusses what happens when you're going down. At least at this degree in which you can repair. Mm-hmm. And especially the deepest downs. And to be a master of understanding this, you have to have known what that path looks like. So he knows the corrections of all of that. So it's very, very wise and very, very special to be able to do this. Moshe Rabbeinu knew the secrets of all of this. Because every Jew would then come to him. He would look at them and they would say, Hey, Moshe Rabbeinu, I have a problem with my wife. But Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't have a problem with his wife. So how does Moshe Rabbeinu answer him? Because Moshe Rabbeinu knows the root of what happens in your soul, in her soul, in what, what you guys are going through and how to repair that on a spiritual level and on a physical level. So when they approach him, he knows the remedy to all of it. And Moshe Rabbeinu had to learn all that. He actually learns all of that when he goes up to be able to receive the Torah. He gets more of an illumination. Mm-hmm. And then when Moshe Rabbeinu comes down, which Moshe was talking about last week, he then breaks the Luchot because he needs to bring down a Torah of an even higher degree. A Torah that brings mercy into the world. 
Not one that if you break the laws, you're, you're forced for death because all the Jewish people were breaking the laws. They were, they were supposed to be sentenced to death. They were doing the Eglazav, which is going to come up in a couple of parshiot, right? They were doing the, the golden calf. They're worshiping other idols. They, they stopped having faith in the tzaddik and Hashem. And Moshe's coming down and the first, the first laws of the 10 tablets are just like, if you don't believe in God and if you worship other gods, you're, you're, you gotta be sentenced to death. So he breaks those luchot and he goes up and he goes up again and he gets something very special. He gets the 13 midot of Hashem. Hashem reveals to him the 13 midot of kindness, which would be the 13 attributes of mercy is revealed to Moshe on, the, on Har Sinai. And this is the Hashem's stamp that I will never forget the Jewish people ever. He says, in the end of time, Hashem, Hashem, Yudke Vavke, Yudke Vavke, which is the name of Hashem of Rachmanut, that he will always, Hava, Hovevi, Yez, a Kavana, a very simple Kavana, of just knowing that Hashem was, is, and will be always for the Jewish people, a savior for the Jewish people. El Rachum Vechanun, El Rachum Vechesed Ve'emet, that he's always bountiful in kindness, that he'll always wipe away everything and always look at us again and again and again and always be able to save us. And Moshe understands this and he's working with the Jewish people. So, Let's, let's come back to the parsha. There's a beautiful chidush that I heard about when the Jewish people left Egypt, there's this concept of matzah, that the Jewish people grab this bread really quickly, there's everything in a rush, everything is super fast. And if you can imagine this scene, right? Because let's picture a couple of these things, right? We're gonna picture the water, we're gonna picture the Jewish people leaving Egypt. You have two, three million Jews when you're talking about the 600,000 men, kids, women, right? Two million people plus, three million people plus, rushing through one, two, ten, doesn't matter, gates of Egypt, right? Different commentaries, depending on like, there's four gates of Egypt, one gate of Egypt that they could exit through. They all exit through Egypt, if you can imagine, in a rush. There's some commentary that said that they did it in, in about two or three hours. Okay? The chaos of the people that left, we're talking about two, three million that left. There's about, if you do the math, then technically there's four times that that stayed. There's about 12 million that stayed. Wow. What does that mean, by the way? That means there's those that passed away in the darkness because that means they couldn't find the light. There's those that stayed in Egypt, which means that what? They'd rather be slaves than be redeemed. Remember we said the question earlier? We said, what about us today? Would we want to be redeemed? What if the Mashiach showed up today? And he said, you guys have to do this, this, and this. Would we believe him? What if the Mashiach doesn't do miracles right away and he just starts talking to us like Moshe did? Do you believe that he's the Mashiach? How will you know? Isn't it, isn't it a crazy concept? Isn't it, doesn't it bring humility to us to say, I don't know. This is why we're going to get to a very, 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 very powerful word, which is imuna, prayer, getting into the idea of connecting with Hashem, connecting to the tzaddik, because we don't know. We need the help of the tzaddik. We need the help of Hashem. Otherwise, we really don't know what to do in our life. The problem is that when actually things go well, which is back to your point, if job is going well, you're dating the right girl, things are looking good, maybe you're married, whatever it is, there isn't problems in your life, you don't really need Hashem, right? Let's call it the way it is, right? It's a little bit offensive to say it. It's mean. Obviously, I don't mean it, but it's kind of the way that we act. Things are going really well. Do you walk around like you just closed the business? You're like, everyone, I need to stop this business meeting. I need to take an hour and I need to go talk to Hashem and I need to say thank you. I'm going to go read Tehilim. I'm going to go to the mikveh. I'm going to go buy flowers. I'm going to hand it to the rabbinit at the shul. And I'm going to also go give some extra tzedakah this week because you know what? This deal closed. It really changed my life. Do we act that way? No. When things go well, we're like, oh, fantastic. Let's let's buckle down. Let's let's expand the business. Let's do this and this. Let's do more work, more pumping, right? And then we reach for more. We reach for more. And we get lost. We lose it. We lose our consciousness in this world. And so there's this beautiful chidush that I heard about the matzah, that the Jewish people actually, the bread that they used to have, and the bread that they used to eat before Egypt and in Egypt was matzah. And the Jewish people learned 
from the Goyim how to do this idea of elevating the bread. In French, la levure, or the yeast that allows for the bread to rise. And Rabbi Nachman is very famous for talking about the idea and having torot on matzah and in Pesach and stuff like that. And he says, on ma- in Pesach, we eat the lechem oni, the, the poor man's bread, right? Why is it poor? Because it's not inflated. It's not filled up with gava, with ideas, with thoughts that are wanting more and this and that. It's true to itself. And that's what the Jewish people added. So Hashem said, don't leave Egypt with the full bread. Go back to your roots and exit with the matzah because the matzah is who you actually are. And the matzah in truth is actually very special because Rabbi Nachman says there's something called the yeast of the mind. Because the mind grows and it expands with thoughts, with ideas, with passions, with compulsions, with ideologies, with philosophies of things that unfortunately are not good. And this is chametz, Rabbi Nachman says. And we're not allowed to have chametz in Pesach. You're not even allowed to have a crumb of chametz in Pesach. It's not like any other law. Like whenever you're doing food and you put a little bit of meat and milk in the thing and it's 160th and okay, we're going to let it slide and whatever it is. And this food is like pasul because like it, it's not even, it's like rotten and whatever it is. Like <coughs> Pesach, you find even a little bit of chametz. It's a problem. Why? Because you cannot have even one little bit of this existence of anything that's not emet allowing to exist in the time of redemption. Because if you want to be redeemed, if you want to be real in front of Hashem, you can't have a little bit of you that's fake. You got to be 100% real. And this is going to take a lot of soul searching. This takes a lot of work. We got to sit down. You got to think like, okay, like, am I really spending my time the best way I possibly could right now? Am I actually doing something that glorifies Hashem or am I not? Right now we happen to be talking about Hashem. Thank God we're here. It's a blessing, right? But very easily it could have been something else. I'll tell you all right now, I was not in the mood to do this class (laughs) last night, but... Somehow, Hashem and a lot of mercy and a lot of rachamim allowed me with a very busy schedule to say, you know what, I'm going to sit down and it's going to be worked out. It's going to be figured out. And we're going to sit down and we're going to do it. And I actually needed to hear this class a lot for myself. Every time that I'm giving a class, it's always for myself first. And it happens to be that I'm sharing with you guys my journey and whatever means a lot to me. But this is really the case. And there's a beautiful story that we could actually learn from this because when you actually look at the story of Hametz and you look at this story and the idea that the Jewish people had to leave, they couldn't take this inflated bread with them. It's not that they didn't have time, right? You can make bread rise very quickly. You could have made it rise even a little bit more. Like it would have been considered like a, a cracker or something. Like that would have been Hametz, right? But what's the idea of like no rising at all? This is the truth of the Jew is that he doesn't want to have this mentality of the Goy anymore. He doesn't want to have this mentality. He's bogged down with the slavery and the ideologies that the world is run by nature. The world is run by Hashem and it's run by miracles. And it's run by all these abundant things. You want to talk about grain for a second. There's a beautiful story that I heard about the story of grain. Um, and it's a story about one piece of grain, but it applies to all the grain and it applies to all the animals and all the fruits and all the vegetation, and all the animals in the world. And it's an incredible lesson that we learn. And I shared it, I think, once in the class. And if you think about a grain, think about it from this perspective, from now on, whenever you do a brachav, motzi, or whenever you're eating some food, okay? Because this is gonna teach us purpose and meaning and what the tzaddik wants of us in this world. Whenever you think about food, there's a very big sigula to think about how the food got to you in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's actually a sigula for wealth because it shows hakaratatov. It shows a, a what's the, trans- the proper translation for hakaratatov? It's like a, it's like a it's gratitude, yeah. like a thanks for the fact that you have food in front of you. This is why it's so important to do a bracha, a blessing before, a blessing after. It's, it's, a, it's a real acting as a ben adam. It's a real acting as a true man in front of God to realize that the food that's in front of you. You know, there's a statistic that I, that I read recently that said that 20% of the world goes to sleep hungry. 
Mm. Right? One in five people go to sleep hungry in the world. But we eat all the time and we eat a lot of the time in excess. And we don't really need it that much. And it's kind of an interesting idea. But there's this grain, right? And let's talk about the process of a grain in the field growing through its stock, through wheat, through whatever it is. And then it's being run through and it goes through the mills and it goes through the years and the seasons of being able to grow. And then eventually it's put on the floor and then it's grabbed and then it's sifted through and then it's put through mills and then it's being sifted into packages and then it's sent over to factories and then it's sent over to different types of packaging facilities. And then companies are purchasing it, labeling it, sending it to different shops. And this one grain out of billions and billions and billions of grains each thing has a piece of Hashem in it, a nitzotsh shel kedusha, and inside that grain, it is praying to Hashem with emuna. Please let it be that a Jew consumes me with a bracha, that I get elevated back to my place. Otherwise, I have to come back again and do the same thing over and over and over again. And the grain goes and goes and goes and goes, and eventually ends up on a on a market shelf. And then a Jewish mom, if it's in a kosher marketplace, is walking by and she says, "I'm going to grab this." And then she sits down and she starts preparing for Shabbat. And the grain is praying when it's being kneaded with water and yeast and salt. Oil maybe, depending on how the bread is made, and eggs. And then it's being put in the oven and it's praying as it's rising up and it's getting ready to be eaten. Yeshem Kedushat Shabbat. Yeshem Kedushat Hashem. To do it for the name of Hashem. And then whenever you sit down with the bread and you sit down, you say, Baruch Hashem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Whatever bracha you're making, whatever you're doing, Every single time you're doing something, you're elevating the purpose of this. I had a really sad experience with, with someone, I'm not going to say a name, it doesn't really matter, I've never seen names or anything, it doesn't really matter, but the point still stands, where we're talking about dating in Shiduchim, and I'm not here to provide any advice or anything like that, um, at least not unless I feel like I'm sharing a wisdom of a tzaddik, or anything that I think will help bring someone closer to Hashem. But someone told me that they don't want to keep kosher anymore, they didn't find... Uh, they thought that they, it would be better for them to be able to live their life, be happy that they could eat whatever they want. And I didn't have too much of a conversation because I'm not here to rebuke or judge or do anything like that. Uh, I have a different method or approach with a lot of this stuff. But I was thinking about it today when I was preparing the class and I was thinking about the story of the green and I was thinking about matzah. And a lot of people unfortunately don't know this idea that when you eat something that's not kosher, it doesn't have anything in it that has any godliness it still has a form of godliness because it needs godliness to exist, but it doesn't have anything in it that needs to be elevated. So when a person goes and eats something just because they enjoy it, it's the opposite of what we were talking about earlier. You're not eating for Hashem. You're eating without that gratitude. You don't recognize that people have starvation and things like that, or you don't realize that Hashem is the one that gives you food and can take away food, like the manna in this week's parasha. You're eating because it's an enjoyment. It's a physical pleasure. It's a very low frequency. And unfortunately, Hashem gives people either chokhmah to understand this, and an enlightenment to see this kedusha or not. Some people feel blessed that they could sit in front of a holy food and a kosher food and elevate it and eat it slowly and kindly and gently and say, thank you, Hashem, that I'm eating right now. Just this one bite. Rabbi Natan one time was sitting with Rabbi Nachman. No, actually he was sitting alone. And a breast of Hasid came to ask him for advice. And we shared this story uh, in the class a couple times. But Rabbi Natan was like this with his bowl of soup. And he'd put it back down. Mm-hmm. He did this many times share the story a little bit shorter. He told him, he couldn't give him an answer on advice. Rabbi Natan pretty much told him, he says, you're asking me a question about life. He says, I don't even know if I need this, this spoon of soup to survive. I don't know if I'm doing Kedushat Hashem with this, with this spoon of soup. Maybe I don't need this bite. 
Maybe this bite is not for Hashem. Maybe it's for me. That's a very high level. But when you live in your life in a way where it's like, if it's about me versus being about Hashem, we're already not really with ourselves because like I said, the peace of Hashem is already in you. So if you're doing something that's not for Hashem, you're not really doing something for yourself anymore at that point. Your true self at least. It's a very powerful idea. So I want to take us back to the the parasha. And I'm kind of looking at my notes over here because I want to get through the class hopefully in a reasonable amount of time. Moshe Rabbeinu now helped the Jews exit Egypt. The ones that had faith, the ones that, that developed this faith with Moshe and with Hashem, they made it and they did this travel when they left Egypt. They go around for three, four days. They eventually end up making a U-turn and they come back now. And they want to come to the Red Sea. It's about to split. They don't know that it's about to split, if you can imagine. The Jewish people are now with the cliff on one end, the water on the other end. And the Mitzrim are coming with chariots, viciously coming to attack the Jewish people or to bring them back to slavery. And you have four types of Jews that stand at the bank of the water. And these four Jews are, there was one type of Jew that wanted to commit suicide and said that it's all over, we're not being saved, and the Mitzrim are going to kill us. So they wanted to jump in the water. You had another Jew that... For being captured, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is... Re- like, this is like... this, these are commentaries of, of many Chachamim that bring it down, actually. The, um, yeah, there's a few people that bring down, that bring down this commentary. Wow. There's another commentary that says some of this stuff is actually written explicitly in the Torah. Um, there's another group of Jews that told Moshe this is written in the Torah. This actually happened after the water, whenever they didn't have food and they were in the desert with the man. They wanted to go back to Egypt and be slaves. They said, why did you take us out to die over here, essentially in the desert? And they were saying, there's nowhere to go. This wasn't the point where they actually complained that's happening a little bit later because that's going to happen with the man. But that was the second version. They wanted to go back to slavery. The third version was a bunch of them said, let's turn around and fight. Mm -hmm. And then the last one started to put up their hands in prayer and start to pray. In the parsha, whenever the Jewish people have this encounter, Moshe now knows his mission. Moshe knows he's brought the Jews there. There's a lot of very beautiful passages for those that want to spend a little bit of time and read the Zohar in this week's parasha, what it says about Yosef Atzadik, because Moshe brought the bones of Yosef mm-hmm. to get the sea to split. The sea split when it saw Yosef's bones because Moshe came actually on the bank and it split for that. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful teachings in the Zohar on this week's parasha specifically for this. Uh, but I'm not going to go into that route for tonight because I want to focus on something uh, a little bit different. Um... And, in, and even in those passages, you'll see that there's a lot of common themes that talk about the tzaddik and the, and the water splitting because of the schut of the tzaddik and all this type of stuff. But what I want to say is this. Moshe Rabbeinu knows that his job is to be able to help every single Jew recognize their purpose, realize their goal, to find Hashem, to have imunah. And by the way, where's the best place that you find imunah? It's whenever you're struggling. Actually, that's the truth. Because you only start praying to Hashem whenever you're in difficulty. There's this saying that there's no atheist in a foxhole. There's this also this idea that's like, okay, well, you got to make rent this week, but it's a little bit tough. So you start praying to Hashem. You're like, Hashem, I need your help. This is tefillah. This is emunah. This is, re- this is what makes a Jew a Jew, to believe in this. We'll get into this in a little bit more, in a bit. 
But Moshe understands this. Moshe wants to develop Imuna, and he wants to develop the Jewish people being themselves. The ones that he already developed, he got them out of Egypt. Now they're in front of the water, and Moshe turns to Hashem, and he starts to pray. And then there's this interesting passage that Unklus actually says in the commentary, that it says that Hashem, Anna, he answered the prayers of Moshe, and he said, now go. And you'll see the passages actually at the end of Shlishi, I think, in Revi'i, when Moshe's praying, and then it says that Hashem, it said, Hashem said, now, now move. I want to actually show you guys um, a lesson of Likute Maran. I'm going to actually show you guys two lessons of Likute Maran to kind of wrap up the class that really teach us a lot of these concepts. One of them is literally two lines, which I will read to you. The other one I will do outside because it's too long to be able to read. The beauty of what happens is Moshe then reinforces the Jews with this imuna, with this belief that they, they can do something, that they have a purpose, that Hashem is going to save them. It says, Hashem will save you today. Hashem will fight the fight for you. This is what's written in the Torah. And then Hashem says, proceed. And you have this massive light of imuna that comes from Nachshon ben Aminadav. And he starts storming the waters up until his nose, as explained by the different commentaries. And then the water splits. And what happens? The Jews break out in song. And they start traveling through the Yamsuf. Why didn't Hashem send uh, him instead of Moshe to do that? Moshe... Who did he send? So Nachshon, through his, through his understanding of his imuna, he understood in some light, there's many different... Ex explanations for this, but on a very simple level, he had this he'ara, he had this light, this beaming illumination of redemption that came from this concept of emuna, that this water is going to open up for us. Wow. And he said, I'm going, no matter what, whether I have to give up my life for it or not. Avram had this idea with Yitzchak. How could it be that Hashem tells you in the beginning of the 10 tests, and the angels come on, after the Brit Milah and says you're going to have a son, Yitzchak. The Jewish people come through the, the nation of Yitzchak. He has prophecy that he sees that the Jewish people come through Yitzchak. The 10th test, sacrifice your son. That makes no sense. It makes literally no sense. Mm -hmm. But there is something that makes sense. You want to know what it is? It's not having any sense at all. It's just having Imuna that Hashem says, do it, do it. And Hashem said, Hashem said, it's, that's the highest level is having this imuna that Hashem says it, this is where a Jew begins, and this is where the goyim end. Wow. This is where the goyim will never, ever, ever reach the level of a Jew. Because the goyim stop at the level of imuna, and the Jews enter into imuna. And this is where the journey begins. It is only beginning when Hashem says to you, do you think you're going to make it this week or not make it this week with your rent? Do you think this girl is the right girl for you or not? Do you think this test at school is going to be difficult or do you think it's going to be easy? You think this friend's being mean to you or not mean to you for a reason? Why did this person talk bad to you? Why did this happen to you? It's all imuna. Hashem, what are you saying to me? So we're going to get into these lessons to bring this all full circle. We understand from here something very powerful, another practical lesson. You can only sing to Hashem. You can only do az yashir Moshe uvenei Israel. Only after you go through this test of imuna. The Jews only sing after they were on the brink of, I want to commit suicide. Maybe I need to go back to slavery. I need to pray because I need help or I'm going to go fight for my life. All of them, all were saved. Some of them had different approaches. Some is better than others. There's the highest one, which is prayer. That's, that's universal. No person will ever comment on this and say that anything is higher than that. And tefillah is the ma'aseh. Tefillah, according to the Kabbalah and according to the highest level, is the actual action. You sitting down and talking to Hashem is going to begin the response. 
And I'm going to prove that with this lesson of Likut Iman in a second. Once we go through our difficulties, then you can go to Hashem in your Yibodidut, and you can go to Hashem in your prayer, and you can say, you know what, Hashem, we had a really tough week, but you helped me through it. Now I'm going to sing. Let's take back the idea from the Benish Chai for a quick second. The Benish Chai says, stand as if you yourself are in your troubles. We are doing this every single day. We have our exiles, we have our problems, we have our difficulties, we have our things that fog our vision of not letting us be ourselves, be close to God, understand what happiness is, and we're sad, and we're depressed, and we're down. And the Benish Chai says, imagine yourself as if you are on the riverbank, as if you're on the, on the bank of the sea right there, about to be able to enter the water, but you don't even know that the water's going to split. You think you're going to die from the Egyptians. And then pray with immense simcha that Hashem just saved you. And this starts removing all the negativity in your life. We need to do this because we need to realize at the end of the week, Hashem saved us. There is no guarantee that we're waking up tomorrow morning. Hashem brings us to life. He gives us every second. He gives us every breath. He lets us continue to repair the world. Wow with everything that we're doing. It's abundant kindness beyond our belief. We will never understand it until the day we pass away. But this is beginning to enter into the stage of understanding what this 50th gate is, mm -hmm. 50th gate of Bina, to understand the light of Hashem. This is how we enter into it, with pure Imunah. So there's a lesson of Likut Eman, that's lesson 198 of book one. And it's literally one of the shortest lessons of Likut Eman. It's literally two sentences. Mm -hmm. But it's specifically on this week's Baal Shah. So, 198. 198. Yeah. So he says over here. When a person screams to Hashem, they say to him, Lisa. As it said, and it quotes now from this parasha, Shemot Yudalid, in uh, specifically chapter 14 of Shemot, which is the parasha that we're in. And I think this is actually the beginning of Revi, if I'm not mistaken. It's the beginning of the 14th chapter. It says over there, Why are you screaming to me? Talk to Bnei Israel and move. So Rabbi Nachman says, essentially, why are you crying out to me? Speak to the children of Israel and let them start moving. Mm -hmm. This was the Jewish people. This is what Hashem tells Moshe. He prays. Two sentences later, we can actually look it up if you guys want. And he says to them, Why are you screaming to me? Talk to them and start moving. And, and literally, literally, Nachshon ben Aminadav says, he says move, let's move. And the water didn't split, but he moved. And this is the type of faith that we need to have. Mm -hmm. Everyone on their own level. Each and every one of us can do this form of stepping into the water up to our nose. It's just, we do it up to where we need to. There's a beautiful thing that we can learn from here. There's lots of things in our lives that we're going to be faced with and we need to understand that this is a very big, big, big practical piece of advice. Go to Hashem and scream to Him. Go, I do this personally, under the water at the mikveh, I scream. You could put your face into a pillow, you could scream. You go into the forest, you could scream. You could scream in your room, you could scream in LA, you could scream in the streets. No, everybody's crazy anyways. It doesn't really matter at this point, right? It's facts. Scream to Hashem. You know, you can also scream in a way that's this, it could be the most silent scream of all time. You could scream in your mind. You could talk to Hashem and you could say to Hashem, you know, right now, it's, it's too much to bear. And I don't even have the words to be able to speak to you. And that can be the loudest yell that's ever heard in Shemai. Those words, that compassion, that emet, that truth of yourself can be so pure in front of Hashem that you just yelled the loudest cry that has ever been heard. And it can be whispered. And this is what we need to do. And when you do, Rabbi Nachman teaches practical advice, he says, now that you've prayed, now go walk. Why? 
Because you're going to go and you're going to say to Hashem, listen, I don't know what to do with this business deal. So you pray to Hashem and then go do what you think is right. Ask help from a Rav if you think that person is going to be wise enough to be able to help you. Go do it, but first talk to Hashem. That would be my advice. Mm-hmm. Talk to Hashem, ask for help. Say, Hashem, tomorrow, here's what I'm thinking about doing. I don't know if this deal makes sense. I don't have that much time to take it on, but it's good money and I think it could be potentially a good partnership. After my long conversation with Hashem, you say, you know what? I think it makes sense for me to take it. I'm begging you to help me out. And if it's not right, make sure that it doesn't happen. But if it is right, let it flow through smoothly and help me out and protect me. And then walk and watch Hashem guide you in that. Mm-hmm. And exactly what will need to happen will guide you. The path that a man wants to go, Hashem guides him. Mm-hmm. If you want to be guided in Kedusha, you'll be guided in Kedusha. If you want to be guided in Tum'ah, if you want to be guided in impurity, God will let you be guided in impurity too. Mm-hmm. God's not going to stop you if you want to go another way. He has a reason for all of it. There's another lesson of Yukutimaran, which I'm going to explain outside, which is lesson seven of book one, one of the first lessons, very deep lesson. Go ahead if you have a question. Yeah, I had a question slash comment, I'm not yeah. sure what it is, but... Um, it's one thing when there's a threat coming towards you, threat of the Egyptians, and to have a Muna there sounds seems like almost natural in a way, because you know, like you said, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right against now. the ropes. So I think one of maybe the challenges now, maybe one of the reasons why we're like in the 50th, uh, okay. 50th gate of, of, of Tuma, Tuma yeah. uh, is that there's so much boredom now. Like there's no, you don't have an opportunity to like to, to lift up, to, to, to spark a Muna. Like it's almost like, yeah, we have all this time and all these other resources. We have enough food, this, yeah. that. So I think the, the, the boredom and the not knowing is actually really, really, really challenging for people, you know? It's like almost like if Hashem sends us something, suddenly then it's okay. Then we're like, yeah. we're like launched into action. Yeah. I remember as, one more thing, as I was younger, there were times I'd almost, God forbid, I'd wish like aliens would suddenly attack LA <laughs> or something. Like, like I can get my sword and go fight, you know? Yeah. There's nothing to fight. I can't do that. You know? This guy. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. You know, you couldn't be more right because there is a confusion that exists in the world today that has never existed in the world before. Rabbi Nachman calls this the Koach mm-hmm. This is the confusion that exists in the world. We talk about it a lot. We almost talk about it every single class. It's really, really, really hard. You know, Saba Yisrael was actually very, very well known for this. Very famous breast lover that we talk about. The, the Bala Petek. Very, very holy Jew. Rabbi Yisrael Dovo Deser. He would sit down with people and he would have conversations. He would laugh more than any other rabbi that ever existed. Mm-hmm. There is no rabbi that joked and made jokes and laughed and, and danced and sung the way that this rabbi did. No no gadol in... They're all... 99% of them were very, very serious. And some of them would have their jokes and their simcha and their forms of simcha. But no one was walking around always joking with everybody. Not on this magnitude. But he was a form of simcha. He was a, he was a force to be reckoned with. And he, was, and he was of a crazy magnitude. We can mm-hmm. share stories about him for, for days. But he would famously sit down with friends and people. And when people would ask genuinely or they would talk and they they would express themselves for real, they would ask a question that maybe even sounded stupid. He would freak out and he'd be like, ah, he lives. There's life in the room. There's life. Because we are so dead so often because we just do what other people want whenever they want and we don't think it through and I'm just going to show up to work tomorrow and I'm just going to pray Shacharit at 9 a.m. and I'm not going to change the way I pray and I'm not going to change my words and I'm not going to change my intentions. Right now I have a lot of ideas going through my mind about stories that I've heard of the Baal Shem Tov of each word and each letter. There's a famous story of Rabbi Nachman about how he got to see the Avot 
Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov, how the Baal Shem Tov revealed to him on a Shabbat. He said, you want to, you want to be able to see the Avot? You have to conquer completely. You have to master the Ta'aba of Achila. Which is This is before Rabbi Nachman reached the age of 10. This is the, the, there's lots of reparations in the world with lots of different types of temptations. Food is one of them. Now, we think like, how, how can you sin with food? In Breslev, we talk a lot about food. Mm -hmm. We talk about eating and holiness. We talk about, you see a Breslever eat, a real Breslever. He questions every thought, every bite. Did he eat the right amount? Did he eat it respectfully? Did he ask Hashem before he can eat it? Before he did Netilat? The, the amount of time it took him to prepare just to do Netilat, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about real levels of perfect food. That's the one you have to overcome to to see the Avot Kegel. So like, Rabbi Nachman said, I wanted to see the Avot. He was praying to Hashem, he wanted to see the Avot. This is before the age of 10 years old. The Baal Shem Tov came to him in a dream and revealed to him, he said, to be able to see the Avot, you need to completely conquer and master the Tabab Achila. So before the age of 10, Rabbi Nachman was famous for not swallowing food, barely eating, fasting from Shabbat to Shabbat, and just completely breaking. Then he had issues with his digestive system and his body. He started shutting down at a very young age. So he then started only having liquids. He started only having soups to like completely destroy like all senses of food. Mm. And eventually, because this is a very mystical story, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but I'll share it with you guys off camera and stuff like that. Wait, isn't that Sefenad Nefeshot though? You're like, he's like, he was actually like risking this, his life. I mean, it's a high level to be like, you it's know, tough. Yeah, because, on a, because you see here, there's Chokhmah. Here we're using basic science and basics people of saying, ah, oh, so a person needs to eat healthy. You know, meals per day. Not so healthy, but no, not of course. Like starve yourself until of course, of course. you're about to like, this, this is a level, first of all, we're talking about it, Sadiq Yisodunam. And it's a level in where I'm not recommending for people to fast. I think that people, I think that people should do everything l'shem shemaim. So, I do think that everybody can improve on their eating habits, the way that they eat, how fast they eat, do they bless before they eat, do they bless after they eat, do they pay attention to the words before they eat, after they eat. Maybe they don't need that extra bite. Maybe they can leave. Hasidim are very well known for leaving a little bit of extra food on their plate to remind themselves that they don't need all of it, right? Yeah. Um, to think about other people. So, yes. Is there a level over here that is, in quotation marks, a little extreme? Yes, absolutely. But every single breath and every single moment of his existence was pushing the boundaries of getting close to Hashem. And Rabbi Nachman wanting to see the Avot at the age of whatever it is, under 10 years old, is not like a normal human being wanting to go see the Avot. So this is rooted 100% in Kedusha. It manifests in a way that people are like, whoa, that's dangerous, that's crazy. But... It, because we don't understand the way it actually manifests. But in the reality, the level of what the tzaddik is doing is on such a high level that we cannot understand it. Yeah. And he eventually has this revelation when he's preparing himself for Netilat one day that he has this vision and he has the appearance and he gets to see the Avot. I'm not going to share the full story now, but we'll share it another time. Um, but either way, the beauty of it and what I'm, what I'm really trying to show is that all the things that we do through this food and through these actions and, and all these moments is that all of what we're trying to do is to be able to come back and bring it back towards getting closer to Hashem, to be able to, to, to think before we act, to be able to get closer, right? And we have this thing like that we just said in this lesson, pray to Hashem, have imunah in Hashem, simple imunah, and then move, and then learn how to move in Hashem will help us. I want to wrap it up with one last lesson and one last idea, which is in lesson seven of book one of Likutimahan, where Rabbi Nachman teaches us, I'll read you just the one liner from it because it's a very powerful line. Rabbi Nachman teaches us a very big chidush in this. He says da. Every time he says da in the is that this is coming from a very high level of prophecy. It's essentially this lesson is coming down from a world of atik, which is, we're not even going to begin to enter into this. Very few people 
the Torah that we have comes from the world of Beria. This is already something that comes from way above that. So this, what's about to be revealed right here, is not something that's normal. This is how he begins the lesson. Okay, in the beginning he actually quotes um, from Shemot, which is actually going to come from Parashat Mishpatim, which is actually coming up in a couple parashiot. But over here he begins the lesson by saying that, no, understand this concept. The essential reason of exile, right, being in this exile, is only because of a lack of emunah. This is how he starts off the lesson. He's mm -hmm. actually going to, I'll give you a quick overview. He actually says that the exile is dependent on Emunah. We know that the Jews that left had Emunah and Hashem and had Emunah and Moshe. Because that's why on the bank of the river it says, Right? There's this beautiful concept of Emunah to believe in Hashem. Simple Emunah and Hashem. He says that having faith in Hashem removes you from exile. The exiles that we talked about tonight, the difficulties of our life, the struggles, the like the not knowing what's going to happen, whatever it is, everybody has them. We all have these galuts. We are in galut Mitzrayim even today. We don't even want to get into this idea already of like, you might as well just replace the name of Facebook or every social media platform and you should just put the word Mitzrayim over it because it's <laughs> the exact same thing, right? Slave to what people think, slave to what people are commenting. I want to be this type of version of myself, right? Of course, you could do holy things. We can post a Torah class on there. You could send a happy birthday message to someone. You could do good things, right? But unfortunately, the platforms are have been used and have been manipulated and, and, and have been a source of a lot of people suffering and a manipulation and a psychological manipulation of how people live today in a way that doesn't let them be themselves. It, it, it ruins the ability of people trying to be someone else. It's like, it's worse than you looking at the mirror and not recognizing that it's not you. It's you looking at someone else's mirror and trying to look at yourself and trying to be that person. I have a question. In order yeah. to stop these things from happening, you have to go into it and elevate it, no? Of course, that's so why you're put there. That's why he'll thing. put you in the difficulty. He puts you in the exile. Obviously, but it's good to be like it's good to like it's almost like an attack in a way. Like you go into these these social medias, right, and you use it and elevate it up. Because so if it's only bad, you're not. You're, there's no. It's not. There's no fair fight. So that's a perfect example of what we were discussing earlier. Ask yourself the question: Am I entering the social media right now? Like for example, I'm opening up right now Instagram. Am I opening up Instagram because right now I'm about to enter it and infuse an atomic bomb of Kedusha into Instagram? Or am I entering Instagram because I'm just going to start scrolling the random uh, for you page and look at my friend's pictures and comment random things or send my friend memes, right? Maybe the memes, by the way, it's like a form of Simcha. Like, yo, I just thought about my friend. I'm going to send him the funniest video. That is rooted maybe in Simcha, but maybe it ends up being something inappropriate. But you people have to know how to sit down and do that machshava. they have to know how to sit down and say am i doing it right now because it's rooted in i want to get closer to hashem or am i doing it because it's for me or for someone else or for whatever so that's the answer to it is that the truth is that yeah. it but we can't be too hard on ourselves because you have the social media because hashem decided you need to be in the social media it needs to be right? balanced of course Rabbi Nachman says you can't don't don't try to put don't try to do too much because then you'll end up failing but it's very important because everybody can look at themselves on their level. Everybody can do it on their level. Everybody can look at themselves and say, where can I improve? Where do I need to be better? Where am I lacking Kedusha? Where do I need more Kedusha? Where do I need more help? Where do I need more Emunah? Right? Maybe I'll just read the prayer today and I will concentrate on one word. And I will look at every single letter and I will think to myself, wow, Hashem made the Aleph. He made the Mem. He made the Taf. The word Emet. Hashem Elokechem Emet at the end of Shema. And for a second, you sit there and you read that word. It's actually kind of funny, but think about it for a second, right? 
We do brachot all the time. Right? That's probably the average speed of a regular person doing a bracha. How long is that? Like, let's time that, right? That takes what? 0.7 seconds a second, right? What's the difference between that and Baruch? Blessed is Hashem, right? Not this slow, but just understand. Ata Hashem. That's collapsed. 2.5 seconds, right? One second, 2.5 seconds in the moment, bunch of confusion. Obviously, we don't see that difference. It feels like the end of the world. You do that for shacharit, by the way, a shacharit of five minutes or 20 minutes versus a shacharit of 20 minutes or 40 minutes. That extra 15 minutes of paying attention, it's tough, right? But what's the difference between a shacharit that you're gonna do really fast and maybe it takes you five minutes or maybe some people it takes 40 minutes, right? I don't know how much people do in their shacharit, but it doesn't matter the level for right now. Let's say your shacharit takes you five minutes and you only do the shema and you only do the amida. But you say to yourself, you know what? From now on, I'm still gonna do shema and amida, but when I read the first paragraph of the Shema, I'm going to try to concentrate my very best. I'm going to read a little bit slower. And then after that, I'm going to zoom through it because i got to get to work anyways. Right? But just a little bit. Just a little bit. This is the Od Me'at. Right? This is just a little bit more. So Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 7, here we come full circle. He says, we get into exile because we don't have Emunah. He says, interestingly... When you gain emunah, you then gain tefillah. Because emunah and tefillah are the same. Yeah. He then says, you gain miracles, and then you can attain the level of Eretz Yisrael, which is greater than all of them. Right? It's a very bizarre lesson. It's very deep. We're not going to be able to explain it all now, obviously. But Moshe actually has done some classes on it and stuff like that. It's very beautiful. We've talked a little bit about it in other classes that we've done on the Parsha. But the thing that's amazing here is that now we discuss the splitting of the sea, we discuss the Jews, and now we have the thing of Amalek. There's Amalek in this week's parasha. And this is where I want to end, because I want to take you guys through the whole parasha, or more or less most of the ideas in the parasha. So Amalek hears that the Jewish people had all these crazy miracles and everything that happened to them, and Amalek is the only nation that decides to go attack the Jewish people. What's the reasoning behind all this? So Amalek did, some, Amalek did actually something that's rooted very mystically in the sides of impurity, and was rooted a lot in impurity. And what they did is that they knew, because of the generations before, because of Eliphaz, and because of the, the generation that, let, that were birthed from Amalek, because they used to study from Yaakov Avinu, they knew mystically this idea that Rabbi Nachman's explaining. That's only understood on a very, very high level that came from Yaakov Avinu. And this is the idea of Emuna, Tfilah, Nisim, right, miracles, and Eret Yisrael. So Amalek is the only nation with this deep, dark wisdom that sees that they have emunah because they're standing on the bank of the of the bank of the sea and they're waiting at the at the at the ocean front essentially, and they don't know if they're going to survive. So they have emunah. And Moshe Rabbeinu, their leader, is infusing them with emunah as the Jewish people that are leaving. They begin to do tefillah because they begin to pray. Moshe puts up his hands to Hashem. He starts to pray, and then what happens? You have miracles unlike anything that's ever been done before. And Amalek sees all this and they say. They're going towards Eretz Yisrael. So Amalek says, we need to do something to prevent all of this. So Amalek does what? They come to break your emunah. And Amalek is the same inyan as Mitzrayim, as Paro. It's the same thing. Mitzar, the word Mitzrayim comes from the narrows. The narrows of the throat, things like that. There's different variations. There's different lessons that we can discuss this. 
Um, Sorry to interrupt. What's Amalek representing? Amalek represents the same idea that we were discussing here, which is this exile, which is these thoughts, these chitzonim, these ideas yeah. that come, it's the klipot, it's the things that come to bog you down. And they're trying to do one thing. They're trying to remove your emunah. Yeah. So what is Amalek in today's day and age? We can discuss this. We can talk about it. Let me give you an idea based on the ideas of emunah and simplicity. You know what Amalek is? That's disguised in a way that we never see Amalek? Amalek is chokhmah. It's wisdom. You want to know why? It's not wisdom of Kedusha. It's not wisdom of saying, I'm going to sit down and study the holy book of Torah. I'm going to study Halakha. I'm going to study the teachings of the Chachamim or the Gemara. It's saying, I think I understand the nature of the world. I think that the world runs like this. Let me give you a little parable. We're finishing up within the next couple minutes. People today, let's take an example of a doctor. Doctor today sits down, goes to school. He goes to elementary school, goes to high school, goes to college, goes studies another five years, seven years, 10 years. Practice, tests, applications, exams, board reviews. And he keeps on studying and studying and studying. This is the nature of the world. This is the science. This is the logic behind how everything works. Then he gets in the operating room and then he gets to meet people and he sees things. But things don't work according to nature, actually. A lot of the times they do and a lot of the times they don't. How many times have we heard stories that a person, and unfortunately this is the negative side of it and I've seen this with my own family, my grandparents, where a person's perfectly healthy. You put them in the hands of a doctor, person thinks they know what they're doing. There's a certain sense of gaba, there's a certain sense of I know what to do. There's a certain sense of this is medicine. This medicine equals this healing. We know what to do with this situation. One complication to one virus, to one mistake, to one this, to one infection, leads to one person passing away. This happened to three of my four grandparents that I saw with gross negligence. And these are with people that I've seen and I've spoken to the doctors and I see the ga'ava that permeates and the chokhmah of the goyim. This is chokhmah of goyim. Now there's purpose behind this and there's Hashem's will in all of this. And it's beautiful in all of it. And their picture and their image and everything that they do is also fantastic in everything that they do. But there is no doctor that understands the nature of the world. There's no one that understands it. Every single year, every single day, everybody figures some, something new. Look at what's happening with science today. What's happening with medicine today. Nobody understands what's happening. There's this and if you take this, then this will help you with this. And then next thing you know, you don't know what's going to happen with the next thing because they changed their mind a week later. Right? And then you have the other side of it. We have a person that goes into a hospital, you meet with a doctor, and they say, listen, this person's terminal. They have a week left, they have a month left, they have three months left. But somehow, something disappears, and there's life again. Wow. How did that happen? That's not natural. But then the doctor, and let me tell you the big difference between a Goy and a Jew. The doctor sits in the room, or a person that's logical that sits in the room, and he sits down and he says, what? Oh no, but this case is special because actually what happened here is that this tumor over here actually was reduced because of this intake of this type of medicine and this type of thing and this whatever happened here. And now because of that, something that was a 97% rate of death actually was that 3% that actually turned this person to life. How low did you make God? But a Jew looks at that situation and he says actually something beautiful. He says, we don't know what's going to happen. But there is only one person that could choose health or life for this person or death for this person. And that's Hashem. And this is the way that every single Jew needs to live and this is the way that every single Jew is saved. Because every single problem, every single sickness, every single difficulty, every single financial trouble, and Amalek does this, by the way, it's not just with health. 
a big thing that Rabbi Nachman talks about a lot. He talks about it with money. He says money. The goyim come after you with money. Look at the world today. We talked about four things. We talked about emunah, we talked about tefillah, we talked about nisim, and we talked about Eretz Yisrael. Look at the Jewish people. Look at what happened to Congress this past year and stuff like that. You see people talking about taking the Jewish state away from the Jewish people, not defending the Iron Dome and giving aid to, to Eretz Yisrael. You have nations that don't respect Eretz Yisrael. They want to remove the nation, the Jewish people from their homeland. You have people that remove the faith of the Jewish people. You have people that don't believe in miracles because they don't believe in God because they have the clouding judgment. Rabbi Nachman says, begin with Imunah and start reinforcing your faith and take yourself out from the traps of everything that happens around you. You are the son of the king. You are the prince. Everything that you want, you get. You just need to work very hard at it and you need to do. You need to take lesson 198. You need to say to Hashem, I need your help. Scream and then move because Hashem is going to be with you. You have Imunah, you have your tefillah. You then start seeing the miracles that are happening in your life. Because Hashem performs miracles in every single crevice, in every single second of what's happening in every single one's life. Rabbi Nachman says you have to see these miracles. You have to see that this is happening in front of your eyes. If you want, you can heal any single person, not you, but Hashem. And through the prayers that a person has, we can heal any person of any time. You want to bring the Mashiach tomorrow? It could happen if we pray enough, if we believe enough, if we believe that it's coming. If there's a um, beautiful story, sorry, I don't go ahead. No, no, go ahead. There's also like, also a good point to add that, like for the medical situation, right? Yeah. It could be that yes, all those facts are true within the this entered that and then ended up saving the person, right? Yeah. But that's still Hashem. You know what I mean? Hashem yes. is, is hidden in nature, so like it looks like it's nature, right? But it's of course. Really Hashem. You know what I mean? So there's a lesson in the that discusses this. He says for people that don't really believe in the of Hashem and they don't trust in Hashem then Hashem leaves them to nature meaning that he leaves them to the nature of the world Hashem is nature by the way it's just the lowest frequency of Hashem yeah. but the Jew doesn't want the lowest frequency of Hashem the Jew wants the highest frequency of Hashem why would you get it's like getting to know a parent and saying listen the relationship that I have with my dad is great but I only see him on Sundays I only see him on Sundays and guess what there's someone else that's like, you know what? I see my dad every single day, but he doesn't love me. That's another relationship that someone has with Hashem. And then there's other people that are like, listen, my relationship with Hashem has these crazy ups and downs. Sometimes I don't talk to him for years. So that different relationship with Hashem. What relationship do you want to have with Hashem? This is the type of relationship, but you know who, who allows you to have that relationship? Hashem is asking you every single day, what type of relationship do you want to have with me? Every single day he asks us, he opens up the door to us. We open up our eyes and Hashem says, what do you want to do? Balls in your court. And he asks you to move. And then you get to move. You say right now, am I going to do Natilat? Am I going to thank God? That you get me back my neshama. You didn't have to. You didn't have to. I have a good friend that I went to yeshiva in Israel. He didn't wake up one morning. He was engaged. Okay. Hashem decided that's it. He was done. He finished his tikkun. We don't know that. But Hashem's plan is perfect. But he gave it back to me today. Today I'm alive right now. I'm speaking right now. He decided right now that I deserve to live. It's a gift. It's a gift. And sometimes God also gives us ones that are a little bit more complicated that you were saying, right? It's a little foggier. I just found out that there's a difficulty that I have to deal with a medical complication. That's a difficult one. That's a foggy one. Mm -hmm. Where are you there, Hashem? Right? So then maybe we talk about different classes. We talk about Ayeh. We talk about finding Hashem in the dark, in the dark spots. Understanding how to find Hashem. Get out of that exile. Right? That's difficult too. But Hashem's glory is there too. It's difficult, but Hashem's glory is there too. I'll end with, with two last points. Rabbi Nachman says in Chaim Oran, he says in, in Chaim Oran, 
that uh, it's essentially the book of Rabbi Nachman that's written by Rabbi Nachman, uh, Rabbi Nathan, on the life of Rabbi Nachman, that says, Chabinu said multiple times, he could have brought the Mashiach like this. In the snap of a finger, he could have brought it in a blink of an eye. He could have brought the Mashiach. Says it black on white. Not that many people, by the way, throughout history said they could have brought the Mashiach. Rabbi Nachman said I could have brought the Mashiach. If I would have put all my efforts into it, I could have brought the Mashiach. But he said, I decided to do something greater. You know what he said? I decided to bring back the Jewish people in Shuvah. Wow. Which means that we learn from this something very, very, very wise and very valuable. Greater than the redemption. And the whole redemption itself depends on us finding ourselves. On us finding Hashem. And we said that the tzaddik's job, like we said in the very beginning of the class, is to do one thing. To help you find yourself and find Hashem. And he helps you with that vision. He has that compass, that north star. He knows how to direct you. He knows when you're messed up and when you're having that difficulty and you hear that bad news and you hear this, he knows how to say, no, 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 take this piece of advice. Go to Hashem like this. I promise you, he will listen to you when you're crying. I promise you he's paying attention right now. I'm begging you, give it a shot. He knows how to reinforce you and help you out. And lastly, we learned with Amalek that Amalek comes and tries to destroy the Jewish people because it sees this. It doesn't want us to have it. It doesn't want us to have tefillah. The mentality of Amalek exists today just like the Jewish people are slaves. We are slaves today and Amalek approaches us. Sometimes Amalek approaches you in the form of a Jew. Sometimes it's in the form of a rabbi. Sometimes he's in the form of a non-Jew. Sometimes it's in the form of money. Sometimes it's in the form of an internet page. Amalek is everywhere. You need to be guarded. What do you mean by a form of a rabbi? If a rabbi is telling you to do something that's not rooted in Kedusha, it's Amalek. Yo. You have to be very careful. It's so true, by the way. Korach. So true. Guys, let's let's take a step let's take a step back for a second. This isn't so gonna true. happen for many parashiot, but in Sefer Babidbar we have the parasha of Korach. Korach was by all senses of the wisdom and all understanding in the world, Korach was the wisest man, really, aside from Moshe and Aaron. Okay? He was supposed to be one of the heads of the Jewish people, he's one of the leaders. All the heads of every tribe listened to Korach instead of listening to Moshe and Aaron. So it was all the logic, it was all the brain powers, all the chokhmah, right? And what do you think Korach looked like? He left Egypt, by the way. Korach, the, the Kabbalah says that Korach, because he was actually part of the people that were Levim, that were supposed to become Kohanim originally, there was this aspect that they were supposed to completely shave their heads in front of Hashem, and he received this in prophecy. They were supposed to shave their whole body completely. They were supposed to be like naked mole rats, all the hair off their body. Before Moshe revealed this, Korach came with complete emunah like this in front of everyone. Korach was on a level where he was arguing about the, the tchalet and the tzitzit and the mezuzah and the, and the sod of everything. Korach was on a level where he was arguing with Moshe. And Moshe was falling on his face in front of Korach saying to Hashem, what do you want from me? You want me to start arguing with him? You want me to start arguing with kavanots of Hashem? And, you know what I mean? And every wise person of every tribe, of every nation, of every group, of every Jewish person is agreeing with Korach and not Moshe. Could you imagine the bilbul? What do you think Korach dressed like if it was in today's application today? Wow. Korach would look like the Gadolador. That's what he would look like. So he looked but like it's that, But it's that fine, the emunah that we need to have. We don't have this emunah and we need to pray to Hashem for this emunah. Because people think like, oh no, Paro looked like this bad person. No, the Jewish people that were in Egypt that decided to stay in Egypt are the people that said, if Mashiach came and he said right now, get on a plane to Eretz Yisrael, there's some people that are like, listen, I'll still do shacharit, but I'm, look, LA's good. But the Mashiach said, it's right now or never, get on the plane. It's that one minute to get out of the gates of Egypt. 
And they're like, listen, I'm, I'm, we're good here. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to learn. It's that fine. It's that subtle. Wow. And we'll see that it gets more and more complicated later on because the complications of Moshe and his conversation with the Jewish people later on in the desert are getting more sophisticated. But so we see, lastly, and this is the last sentence, right? Amalek, Rabinatan says something beautiful. He says, if you find the passages of Amalek, right? There's in the Sarasha and there's also in Dvarim, right? There's three times where it says to destroy Amalek. And it's three plays on words. If you look at them, it says, Timche, Emche, Mache, Zecher Amalek. There's three times. These three times, Rabbi Nathan says, after Rabbi Nachman revealed to us in Lesson 7 this idea, and we see the root of where Amalek is coming to teach us and coming to attack us, he says, you have one <clears throat> that's coming to combat against tefillah, one that's coming to combat against imuna, and one that's combating against miracles. Because they don't want to let you enter into Eretz Yisrael. And he says, if you take the Rashi Tevot of Emche, right, and Timche, and also Mache, you have the Rashi Tevot of those three words, you have the word Emet. He said, because Rabbi Nachman has this Inyan, and we had a whole class on this, I put this in the Breast of Fundamentals uh, YouTube video, because I did a whole class on this, which is Emet and Emuna. Emet and Emuna is a huge concept in Breslev. To be truthful, when it's when you look in the mirror and you say, this is me. When you look at it and it's not perfect. I don't know if you guys remember one time I gave that, that story, I'm not gonna do it now because it's long, but the parable of the mirrors with the black mirror and the king's palace and the one man paints his side black and the other person paints this beautiful art piece. Wow. It's for another, it's, maybe it's for another time. It's one of the most beautiful stories of Rabbi Nachman. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at yourself in the mirror, you don't see a perfect version of yourself. You're looking for who you're going to be. You see your imperfections. But that's why we read, and that's why we say in Shirashim, right? And, we, and, and Shlomo Amelach teaches us this, and Moshe looks at Bnei Yisrael whenever they're at the foot of the mountain, and we say, right? I, there's black in me, but I'm beautiful. There's black parts in me. There's things that are imperfect in me, but this is what makes me beautiful in front of Hashem. I'm going to sing to Hashem with these negativity. I'm going to sing to Hashem because I have Instagram. And even though I'm not perfect with it, I'm going to talk to Hashem because I have Instagram. And I might not be always great because I have Facebook, but I'm going to talk to Hashem. And I might not have had the greatest conversation with my friend and maybe I didn't make him feel great, but I'm going to still talk to Hashem. And I take and I go to Hashem and I bring to him all these bouquets of beautiful flowers. And they look to a regular person, that's a crazy person in this world in actuality, that they look rotten. But Hashem is looking at them and he's seeing flowers. Love it. And this is what he's seeing in every single Jew. And this is the emet of Hashem. Hashem wants us to see this. He wants us to see that we have emunah. And the root of emunah is to have this simplicity to be with Hashem in, the, in this type of beautiful form of simple simplicity to get close to Hashem. To throw away these ideas that they don't run nature. You can literally run the world. And Rabbi Nachman says from this lesson, have emunah, have tefillah, you will see miracles in front of your face. You can change the face of nature because Jews are not meant to run the world through nature. It's only only through miracles. That's how the Jews run the world. And Bezat Hashem, in the merit of the Holy Tzadikim, may we have the merit of being able to work on ourselves in simple emunah, to receive our redemptions in this week's parasha, this week for all our personal stuff. Amen. To always work on ourselves, to always delve into these little ideas and always practice and look and, and say, Hashem, show me a little bit more, show me a little yeah. bit more. And the more you work on yourself, Hashem starts to show you a little bit more. He starts to unravel and He starts to show you all these beautiful things. Sometimes He shows you your defaults. There's nothing more beautiful than Him showing you your defaults. Because now He's going to show you where you can repair, where you can fix. And only you can fix it. So, Bezat Hashem, maybe you have the merit of being able to do this work. We do it and help with the tzaddik. We get close to Hashem and we see the Mashiach. Bezat Hashem. Amen. Amen. Amen.